Blog Talk Radio. Everyone and welcome to Research at the National Archives and Beyond Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and joining me today, along with our guest, is co-host Janice Gilliard. Now, you'll hear more about Janice later in the show. But I wanted you to know, well, first of all, welcome, Janice. Thank you, Bernice. I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much. Happy to have you. So today we will focus on African-American homesteaders that acquired land under the Homestead Act of 1862, uh, an act that actually went into effect uh, January 1863, and there was also an amendment in 1866 granting former slaves and also Women, individuals that never took up arms against the United States, they were over the age of 21, and they showed improvements to own up to 160 acres of land. Now, I want you all to understand that lands that are located in the 13 original colonies and Texas were not a part of this act. However, we did have... African-Americans apply for this land. Now, today you will hear from descendants of African-American homesteaders, and you will hear about their research and land-owning stories. Joining me, you will hear Margot Lee Williams. She is an award-winning author and genealogist, family historian, and she's published three books. She has a great she is the great granddaughter of a Florida homesteader. Orise Jenkins is from Hartford, Connecticut, and is the great great grandson of Vandy Hutchins and Betty Horn. He is a recording artist, performer, educator, and genealogy researcher. And I have to tell you all, he has this amazing album, Centennial Cole. And it is a celebration of the great voice from the past, Nat King Cole. So I hope that you all will listen to his music. We also have Dr. Shelley Viola Murphy. Now, I know many of you know Dr. Murphy, a.k.a. Family Tree Girl, 
Well, she conducts genealogy workshops at local, state, and national conferences. She is also a coordinator and instructor at the Midwest African American Genealogy Institute and serves on the boards of the Library of Virginia and Flublana Historical Society. So just let me give a warm welcome to Margot O'Reese and Shelley. Welcome, everyone. And we're going to start off. We're going to start off with Margot. Hello, Margot. Tell us your story. Who is your ancestor? I am doing Um, well. And, you know, I am so excited about this. I'm really excited to see individuals conduct research and find the information they need to find on their ancestors. So I want to know who is your ancestor. Tell us a little bit more. Where did he live or she live? And how much land did did she or he acquire under the Act of 1862? Well, hi, Bernice. It's great to be here. Um, And it's great to have an opportunity to to talk about this subject. As you mentioned, not many people know that there were homesteaders who were not just the Western homesteaders, but in public land states in in the North and South and the Midwest, I should say, and, and the South, there are um, African Americans, and and I'm sure others, but in this case, African Americans who were able to acquire homestead land. And my great grandfather was one of them. He was originally born. His name was Randall Farnell, and he was born in uh, Georgia and came with his slave-owning family. And his exact status in that family is questionable. I'm. It's not clear that he was that he was enslaved, but I do, I am pretty certain he was indentured. And um, I know his mother was enslaved to the family. And they came to Florida in the 1850s, and um, he married a woman, and, and they, and her family was living in a town called Live Oak, Florida. So they settled in Live Oak, Florida, and apparently shortly after settling there, he made a claim, he went to the land office and made a claim for 39 and I've forgotten the exact number, but it's like 39 and 89 hundredths um, acres um, in in the Live Oak area. And he cleared that land and built a home and uh, um, it says a corn crib and um, corral and so forth and they farmed that land and then he was able to actually um, make the final um, testament in 1884 because you had to live on the land a certain number of years before you could file your final papers. And, and so in 1884, he filed the final papers, and he was um, awarded the, the grant to the land. So when did you discover that your ancestor owned land? Um, I knew from family members that we owned land, that our family owned land there. Um, my father's sister, who was, I will say, our family griot, um, and and groomed me from a little girl. And so I did know that we owned land. And when I began to pursue genealogy, um, you know, seriously as a, a, 
a serious research effort, I then decided that I would look for that, you know, the ownership of that land, the, the, the paperwork associated with the ownership. So I looked in the deed indexes, and I found um, that he, you know, that it was entered in 1884 that he had this deed for land. When I got the land, when I got the papers, in that deed, it cites that that land was acquired as um, uh, in, in accordance with the Homestead Act of 1862, and that um, the papers were filed. It gave me the, the certificate number and that the papers had been duly filed with the Bureau of Land Management, so or the land office, I think they called it. And so I then set about writing to the Bureau of Land Management to get uh, a copy of those papers, which I which I did. They those that set of papers um, is squirreled away in a box. Isn't everything in a box? I, I believe that box is in my daughter's basement. I saw it recently. Um, and so I I knew that, and I you know I had seen what was in there. I had seen that one of his one of his witnesses was the father of his brother-in-law's wife. And so, um, you know, I knew that it was a that they had close relationships. But of course, when you began this group uh, um, seeking those of us who were descendants, I went back and looked at all of that, you know, much more closely and really re-examined it. So it was great fun to to go back and and do that. Right. I think when you requested uh, a second set of land entry papers. Uh, mm-hmm. They wouldn't let you just sleep. You had to tell that story. <laughs> so tell us, why do you think yeah. that it's important to share stories about your homesteading ancestor? Well, uh, as you know, I think as we were discussing, um, a group of us, the, the, the group of us here were discussing a little earlier, there are people who are really unaware of, um, the land ownership of African Americans so close at to the end of the Civil War. They don't realize that, you know, within 10 years, some people virtually right away from other means. And that's usually it. People assume that, oh, you must have gotten the land from your, some somebody, you must have had favor with your former enslaver and they must have given you that land or or somehow had you, a share crop for the land or something like that. But no, that's not, those are not the only ways that people acquired land. And so um, I, I thought it was really interesting and important to tell that story. And, of course, we hear about the Western homesteaders. We all hear about, you know, the sodbusters and then the Western homesteaders. But we don't realize that there are people who were able to take advantage of those laws right here in the South and that's how our families acquired their land. And uh, I think 40 acres is pretty good. And so I, I used to, originally I made the joke that, you know, we got our 40 acres. <laughs> I don't know about the mule, but we got our 40 acres. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Well, it, it, is an, it is an interesting uh, process when we look at what our ancestors went through. And you mentioned, well, he didn't just apply for that land. He actually lived on that land and had to make some improvements and then had to bring witnesses. And so all of that information 
is something that I think when we look at the descendants of African-American homesteaders, they're able to tell that story. And so I'm going to, do you have anything else you want to share with us before we listen to another descendant of Afri- an African-American homesteader? Um, no, but it has led me to n- nothing nothing really special here. I think that most of it was, he was fortunate. Most of it was pretty straightforward. It went according to, it seemed to go according to plan. He was able to do everything on time. And, um and, and it was just fascinating to be able to read through these these papers, um, but it did lead me to um, to do research then on the witness that that became a family member, so to speak, an extended family member, and that was actually a a, a story that that will be told in the future. I've submitted it, and it has not been published yet. But when it gets published, I think that will be very interesting because that story did not go exactly according to plan and but it still ended up well and i i think it's a a great story so i'm i think it's i think these stories are absolutely wonderful and i'm looking forward to hearing the next story okay thank you margo and as margo said i mean she looked into the witnesses so we want to say something that look folks you need to follow those witnesses also when you get those land entry papers so now we have Oris Jenkins. Hello, Oris. Tell us Hello. about your ancestor. Of course, um, and thank you so much for having us all here. Um, it's an honor. As an avid listener of the show, it's great to be here. Um, so my ancestor was Vandy Hutchinson, or Hutchins, as, as some of us say. Um, in fact, all of our cousins, we have different discussions about which last name to choose. Um, And he was my grandmother's grandfather, so he was my great-great-grandfather. He was born in Coffee County, Alabama, um, which uh, then split up, and uh, Geneva County, Alabama, was created out of it. So I was really happy to hear Marco's story, um, you know, being in the Florida area and also me being in Alabama, which uh, I previously didn't realize that states like those being so close to Georgia, one of the 13 colonies, that they would even, be, you know, have homesteaders in these states um, until I paid more attention to what you were doing. So thank you again for that. Um, but, yes, Coffee County, Alabama, um, he received 160 acres, well, 160 and 11 hundredths of an acre, um, which makes me wonder if that fits into, uh, like I think Marco said she had 39 and eighty nine hundredths. So uh-huh. if you add that together, that's that's two hundred even if you add it together. So it's pretty interesting. But um, yes, in Geneva County, where uh, basically where he was from, um, they they call it Coffee Springs, Alabama, but it's in a Geneva County. So I was I was pretty surprised to find that because that's quite a bit. You know, one hundred and sixty acres of land is um, yeah, not it, a small it is amazing. Of land. You know, Orise, when you think of somebody owning 160 acres of land, how mm-hmm. in the world that they clear that land and cultivate that land? I mean, I can't even put my head around. That's a lot of land. As far as I can tell, he did not clear all of that land at all. Um, okay. I, I can't even imagine looking at all that land. But um, he had cleared one acre which even that mm-hmm. I can't even imagine. But, you know, he cleared one acre by the time he uh, 
submitted his application, and then, um, you know, everybody had to go back five years later, I guess, to prove that they had improved on the land. Um, and at that point, he had cleared six acres, um, which still, you know, was, I know he was doing it probably by himself. Um, his, his children were quite young. Uh, you know, I don't know if they would have had any help from, you know, neighbors or whatever, but they had their own land to deal with, I'm sure, as probably sharecroppers in that area. So um, I can't I can't even really imagine um, what that was like for him uh, coming, you know, out of out of slavery and, uh, you know, ending up with all this all this land. Right. Well, when did you discover that your ancestor owned land? Um, the patents, the final patents that they get, that, those have been on Ancestry.com for quite a while, uh, at least mm-hmm. the past five, five years at least. Um, and I always had that, but never, I just never processed, um, you know, Vandy is one of the ancestors that, I don't have as much information about, you know, like I would like to. Um, you know, I don't have every census year, you know, that he should be in. And I don't have, you know, uh, ironclad information on his parents. So I kind of have always just let him sit somewhere and I just, you know, said I, I need to look into this more. And, and it didn't make any sense that he had all this land because I knew him to live in Georgia. Uh, mm-hmm. So I never looked into it until – uh, just a few months ago, but but I always had that patent, and I didn't realize there there was more information until later on, um, just really quite recently. Well, really, you just made a good point because the land patent, folks will find that land patent on mm-hmm. Ancestry and the Bureau of Land Management and other sites. However, they need to understand that that patent is really the end of the process. Right. And in order to get that patent, there are land entry papers. And those papers are at the National Archives. And so I want the listeners to understand, if you find a land patent, the second step is to get your land entry papers. And that's why we're encouraging individuals that know that their family owned land or think that their family owned land to join us on the Descendants of African American Homesteaders page, Facebook page, that is. So is there anything else you could tell us that you learned from the land entry papers other than the information you've already shared with us? Sure. Well, the other thing that surprised me that I should have realized earlier is that Vandy's father-in-law also received a patent um, in the next in the next county over, and everything kind of clicked for me when I realized that because uh, Vandy's father-in-law was from a different part of Alabama, um, not super far, but the part where. Uh, near Georgia where Vandy ended up living for the rest of his life. And I'm now realizing that it might be because of this homesteading in this area of Alabama that Vandy even met his wife, Betty Horn, um, when her father settled in that same area. And that might be the reason that they met and had children in the first place, uh, which would be, of course, the reason that I'm here. So... I'm just I'm so grateful for all this information to realize, you know, 
these things. Uh, and of course, both Vandy and his father-in-law um, had they had the same witnesses in their you know uh, in their land entry papers. And um, so this you know I encourage everybody to if you find that patent, definitely contact uh, Miss Bernice on the Facebook uh, Descendants of Homesteaders page and get those land entry papers because you never know what you might find in them. You, you never know what you might find in them. And, you know, Orise, I've often wondered, how did the word spread that the land was available? Do you think they were reading it or people were talking about it? Because we are definitely finding a large number of individuals that did obtain land. And I'm just wondering, how did that word spread throughout the various states that this land was available. I mean, just think about it, okay? We're going to move oh, yeah. on to Shelley, Dr. Shelley Murphy and see what she has to say. Okay, Dr. Murphy, tell us about your homesteader. Well, one of my homesteaders is uh, William and Mildred Davis, and they are second-great-grandparents, and this occurs in... Uh, Benzie County, Michigan. And so, again, um, the biggest significance for me was the fact that it was homestead property, and this is where we spent our summers as kids in the 50s and the 60s, not realizing what that really meant about that land. That's just family we went up to visit, you, you know, and hanging out. So even as a researcher later on, it was still just the family place where we went on the summers. Where we, I grew up in the city of Grand Rapids, and so this was going to the country, basically like being on a farm. And um, so we did farm duties and things. So I got a mix of farm life as well as city life, and it was just amazing once I really realized what I was dealing with that I became so proud. You know, it was amazing information. At what point in your own research did you really realize that you were a descendant of homesteaders? Well, as silly as this is going to sound, it was hearing about your ancestor, Peter Clark. And we were in St. Louis at our first Maggie. And you did a talk on homestead, which I knew what it was. You know, just I knew about the act. I knew people, you know, got 80 acres or 160 acres. And, again, growing up, I never realized that was homestead land. And you were sitting there and you were doing a presentation in track one at Maggie about Peter Clark and homestead. And then I started, and this is like 2013, Bernice. And so I started looking back, and you'd think I would know that was homestead land. It just never clicked. And so that was really what made me dive into that, and then it just started clicking. Oh, my gosh. You know, we had a homestead. This is three people of color, of course, at this time, you know. And then I have the ancestor that was formerly enslaved that also became a homesteader. But it was just really hearing that, wait a minute, was my family's land, homestead property? Where did they get it? I even asked my mother, and she said, it's just 
always been the land in the family. That was the David wow. property. And so that's mm-hmm. how that discovery happened. And so I have to give kudos to Peter Clark, your ancestor, that that basically woke me up and said, well, wait a minute, did I have any people that had homestead property from the act? And you know what? I I hope that all of those who are sharing today, that people will start asking the same questions. Well, wait a minute, did my yeah. ancestor own land? And how did we really talk about why do you think that it's important to share stories about your homesteading ancestor? Well, number one is the presence of a landowner. That's that's a little different when we're talking about 1863 because the Davises applied for their, they filed their application in July of 1863. The war is going on. Yes, they're up in Michigan, but the war is still going on. They came from Pennsylvania to Ohio to Michigan. And again, the war is going on. They received their patent in uh, October 1st, 1870. But as the other folks had talked, you had to do five years, you know, of working that land and building certain things. And so I think the whole conception of land ownership was not just to white people. It also was to free people and formerly enslaved people, which also, I could say, to immigrants. This was a, a land available that was to anyone that was applying for it and then followed the steps to go through the process and paid their $12 or $18. And then what they did with the land. I also think the importance of what happened on the land. As an example, William Davis and uh, Mildred, they had sold five acres of their homestead land to the township, Joyfield Township, which meant here is Joyfield Township Cemetery. That land was originally Davis land. And then the other uh, family member that also homesteaded, he donated two acres of land for the Church of the Reorganized Church of the Latter-day Saints. And that, again, came from the homestead property of these families. I think that's significant. I think that's a legacy and the value of land ownership that it's yours. You, you know, you farm it, you raise your children on it, and it gets handed down. I think it's really significant for a family. Right. And you mentioned someone donating. I know I just submitted a story where the uh, homesteader de- uh, donated five acres of land for a school for the purpose of education. I love it. And so they had that land, and they did other things with that land, which I think is very significant. So let me just ask you, Janice, do you have any questions of any of the guests today? Actually, I do, Bernice. Thank you so much. So the first question is for Orise. What was your response emotionally once you discovered that your ancestor was a homesteader? Um, emotionally, I don't know if it's curiosity and emotion. I was so just so curious, wondering what happened because they did not stay on that land 
Um, I know there was a lot going on. They ended up uh, moving 60 miles east uh, back towards Georgia and into Georgia, into Blakely, Georgia. And, uh, you know, I'm just, I was confused. I was a little confused about, hmm, if they had all this land, what, what could have happened possibly in Alabama with these black folks with all this land that would have caused them to leave their land and move all the way to a different state um, to work on someone else's farm. You know, I, I started thinking about all the possibilities, uh, you know, all the horrible things that might have happened um, to them because as far as I know, none of my family members from that area stayed there um, from that point on. So I'm just a curiosity and, and just wondering um, and just uh, just a little uh, – a little trepidation because I don't I didn't know what I was going to find and um, and I still don't have any answers quite yet for for that but first uh, that was my first initial emotional reaction. Thank you so much for sharing that. And then my next question is for Margot. Do you know what the status of the land is currently? Meaning, is it still in your family, owned by someone else, or do you know what's there now? Um, I don't actually know what's there now um i was in live oak none of my family lives in live oak anymore they they all moved out for a variety of reasons most of them related to racism and um i i went to to see the area and i went with an older cousin who was able to tell me some things but he he didn't um he didn't have that answer on, on that particular land because uh, my great-grandfather, he kept the land his entire life and the land stayed in the family until his second wife died in the 1960s. Um, and then she willed it to my father and his siblings and they decided they weren't ever going to live there again and they sold it. So... Um, okay. So, no, it's not in our family. But it it really was, you know, we talk about generational wealth. It really provided a, a solid underpinning for the family for, for so many years. My great-grandfather was what's known as a drayman. As I understand it, he had a pretty successful business. I know he, he lived and he, when he left that land, he moved in into the town center of, of Live Oak and built another home and, um, they lived comfortably, and he was a respected member of his community, founder of his church, and and so forth. Was able to send my grandmother to what was then the Florida State Normal and Industrial School, now Florida A and M, and um, and and so we had that. That's the kind of background that was provided us. I'm not saying. We certainly had struggles over the years, but we had a sort of a different mindset, I, I believe, because we had that kind of background. We had, a, you know, an ancestor who'd been able to establish a stable lifestyle on his own land, run his own business. His children had their own businesses. They were, um, almost all of them were skilled laborers. His one son was a... Um, a very successful brick mason and another son was also a builder and 
and so forth. So I, I, th- I think that that homestead land was very important. And from a genealogical point of view, it was able to help me establish exactly when the family arrived in, in, live, in live Oak relative to when my grandmother, who was the last of their children, um, was born. I, I wasn't quite sure. I knew they came from a neighboring county, Columbia County, and I wasn't quite sure of just when they arrived in in um, that county, Suwannee County, and um, the, the Homestead Papers helped me pin that down. Wow. Thank you for sharing. My next question is for Dr. Murphy, but I would love to hear from Orice and Margot as well. How do you plan to share your information with your family based on what you found with uh, the homesteader information? How do you plan to share it? Well, I've been sharing it. Um, Basically, I set up a Facebook group for the family. And every time I have a discovery or something to share, just like the information about the homestead um, property, because they also grew up knowing about going there but didn't know as well. It just didn't click. And so I shared the link to the you know National Park Service part, and also they got information, which is what I think is the coolest part, is to understand that the application told me exactly what they built, a house with a single roof. Board floors, one door and two windows. And then I think about six people living in that house. So it was real exciting to be able to share that throughout the family. And my hope is that it goes down to their children's lines as well. So I think right now for me the biggest thing is social media and also I have a brother that still lives in the area around where we have the homestead property at. Wow, that's awesome. Thank you. Our history does matter, and sharing with our family and leaving information for our future descendants is so important. Um, Orris, uh, how do you plan to share your information? Um, I, I agree with what you just said. Um, I would like to, uh, well, of course, you know, our stories are getting published on the National Park Service website um, at some point, you know, so I, I'm very excited to get that link and share that to as many of my cousins as possible. Um, and of course, I have my own website where I've been, you know, just starting to, um, it's for my music, but I've added finally a genealogy page where I do talk about my ancestors. So I'm going to continue to share information on there, um, as well as, of course, on Facebook and other social media platforms. And, um, and also, I would like to go back down south. As much as I can, I try to get back down there, but to, you know, share share it with even the people of the community, um, even if they're not related. You know, I'd, I'd like to visit Geneva County, Alabama, and, and, you know, see if anybody knows about what that land used to be, because I have figured out where it was, um, and it doesn't look like it's, you know, uh, it's not one person's land right now, but there's a road that goes right through it. So I'd like to visit that and share that story um, all over the place, not just to my family members, but to as many folks as possible. I love that. Thank you. And Margot, how do you plan to share? Um, yeah, well, I, I had been sharing the story. I had written up um, a, a, a booklet of the family history and shared it with other family members, um, you know, sort of just just a family-published um, book. And I 
and of course now it is on this story has been published on the National Park Service site and um, I also rewrote it with additional um, images from the land records and posted it um, but in addition with the link to the Park Service on my blog site on personal prologue and then I um, and and because of the way I have that set up, it also posted to um, my website on, uh, you know, I have a page separate from my personal page on Facebook, and it posted also to Twitter and Tumblr. Thank you, Oris, Margot, and Dr. Murphy for sharing how, how your stories, the fact that you have homesteaders, and again, for people that don't know, it's so important to share your stories to just kind of spark um, interest for other people to go and research and see if they have homesteaders. So I'm excited for everybody. And Bernice, thank you so much for allowing me to share your platform today. Sure. And, you know, you asked the, the question about some of them, well, where is the land now? Who owns the land? And one of the things I would say to everybody, don't stop looking. Keep searching. I searched and searched for the land and found the land in 1965. More documentation on my ancestor and somebody uh, really actually ended up suing the family for uh, rights to the land. So you don't want to stop with, oh, they disappeared. Find out the story. There's always a story that you can find out about your land and just keep looking, keep searching, keep motivating and sharing with others so that they too will also find their land and tell their stories. And I just want to thank the the Homestead uh, National Park Service for uh, agreeing to post stories that all of you are writing. I mean, it's just amazing. Every time I see a story, I'm excited for you. I'm doing the happy dance for all of you because I think this is such a big deal, and I will spread it. You know, if I could just get out with a bullhorn and just shout, Shelly's story is up, Margot's story is up, Ori's story is up. That's what I want to do because I know there are other people out there that are paying attention and will say, wait a minute, maybe the same thing has happened in my family. Maybe my family also acquired land. So that's what it's all about. Well, I want to ask any of you, do you all have any parting words or any words of wisdom you'd like to share with the listeners before we close out the show today? This is Shelley. I'd like to say if you get the chance, walk the grounds of your ancestors. Yes, homestead land, but where they were at, where they lived free or enslaved, I think it's really important for you to have that experience to be able to be there and be present and experience that and think about who was there and what stories come with that that you know about. And, Shelly, you did uh, something unique because you also gathered the soil and put it in a jar and saved it. I do. I do, as crazy as it sounds. At each of the places where I know my ancestors were at, tree or enslaved, I scoop up a piece of that dirt and bring it home. And I label it. 
Oh, that's okay, great anyone idea. else? Anyone yeah, else I, with I, any? I I just think it's Margot. I I think that um, again, this is part of us telling our story, telling that we're here, that we're part of history, we're part of, and and it's important to share our stories so that other people realize that they too are part of the story and that they they can go look for their part to the story and then begin to share it. And I think we we have a, a richer understanding of who we are and where we came from and how we, how we got to where we are now um, by looking for these stories and sharing these stories and celebrating these stories. I think it's a great gift to our children and grandchildren. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And Maurice, anything else? Yeah, just uh, uh, seconding everything that uh, has been said so far. And um, and my thing is that it's just anytime someone wrote down your ancestor's name on a document, you know, value that and, and look at it and stare at it and spend hours with it and try to find every piece of other information you can get from it. Um, you know, Dr. Murphy always says, uh, you know, a record, every record creates another record, you know, try to find all those records um, because, you know, they try to tell us that there aren't any records of our ancestors because they were enslaved or because it's black or whatever, but, you know, this is not, this is not the case. Um, there are so many records, so try to uh, find as much as you can, and then you'll be surprised with what you find. Absolutely. Well, I want to thank my guests. And, and the listeners for tuning in to this show today. And I also have an announcement to make. You know, I've been doing this show for the last 10 years, and I've loved it. I've loved all of my guests, but I'm excited to announce that Janice Gilliard and Sherrakana Philicana will introduce their podcast, Speak On It, History and Genealogy Conversations, with Janice and Chiricana as part of Blog Talk Radio on Thursday, August 5th at 8 p.m. Now, what that means is that Bernice is retiring. That's right, I'm retiring, but I'm retiring with two wonderful, wonderful people who will keep the ball going and will continue to interview guests and have them share their stories. We'll see historians, we'll see book authors, we'll see genealogists. Look, this is what this is all about. So I want everyone to start looking for Speak on It, History and Genealogy Conversations with Janice and Cheritano. Well, you know, I always close my show with Your Ancestors Left Footprints. Okay, folks, if you're a homesteader, your ancestors left footprints. It's more than that land patent. They're land entry papers. And you want to tell that story the best way you can. You might be surprised what you encounter. And so I want to encourage all of you to join the African American Descendants Facebook page so that you can learn more about the homesteaders, that is, descendants of African-American homesteaders. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Margo. Thank you, Orise. Thank you, Shelley. And thank you, Janice. 
This is your host. You are welcome. Bernice Alexander Bennett. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. 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 B